You're listening to the Misty Creek Community Church Podcast. To learn more about Misty Creek Community Church, visit our website at mistycreekchurch.org. Today's message is from Senior Pastor Stephen Street. You know, I've seen uh, men who admonish and love their wives over the years, but I don't know if you were watching Barry while Jenny was singing, and you could just tell he was just so proud, just the love that the two of them have for one another, and that's the love of Christ. You know what I'm saying? I wouldn't be a, a father if it wasn't for God Almighty, my Abba, my Daddy, but I also wouldn't be a father if it wasn't for my wife, Karen, and I'm very thankful for her. I'm thankful to be a dad, and I'm thankful for all of you who are fathers, who are dads, granddads, father figures. You know, we, we shed a lot of light and a lot of attention on Mother's Day, and, and dads kind of, you know, just kind of get passed over a lot of times, but I just want to say to you, the greatest gift that a dad, a father, can give their family, their children, is the gift of Christ. That's the greatest gift. And if you will do that, and if you will model the example of Christ in your life as a man, a man of God, then you'll have great respect by others. I'll talk about fathers a little bit more in the message, but I wanted to talk to you today about approval of others. If we spend so much of our time and our life seeking the approval of others. You know, Eleanor Roosevelt says it best. She said this, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. You know what I'm saying? We, we allow others to live rent-free in our minds and our hearts. We're always seeking their approval and what they think. You ever experienced that before? Maybe you've even experienced it today. You know, we all deal with it. We also like to be appreciated. You may say, oh, I don't need to be appreciated. I don't need any accolades. You'd be crossing your fingers because we all want to be appreciated. Psychologists say that every single human being desires to be appreciated. We like a pat on the back from our boss. We, we, we know like a, a handshake from our employer. We even like for our pastor to say something nice about us. Dad's even like a thank you, Dad, for making pancakes for us on Father's Day. You know what I'm saying? We all want to be appreciated. Appreciation provides us with a sense of purpose. And it's one of the most powerful motivators that exist in our world today to be appreciated and not to be taken for granted. Appreciation gives us that sense of purpose. But you know what? We get into dangerous territory when we begin to rely on the approval of others to determine our own self-worth and the level of joy in our lives. You know, we can begin to volunteer at church so everyone will see that we're, we're good Christians. We can pray with a little more zeal to show friends how spiritual we are. We can try to be the perfect dad or husband or, or mom or wife so that people will recognize our accomplishments and think, wow, that's just a, a model parent. But we all know things happen behind closed doors, don't we? And none of us are perfect. All of us have our issues. When we, were, when we were praying yesterday, you know, there were some beautiful homes and communities. But even people who live in beautiful homes and communities and have what we think everybody would love to have, they have issues and they have problems and they have situations. And they, too, want the approval of others. If you start viewing your importance, your ability, and the worth that you have, based on what others view, what others see, it's time for a change. You weren't put here on this earth to please everybody else, to be that people pleaser. 
If you put too much emphasis on what others think, you will find yourself living a very unhappy life because you will not please everyone. Christ himself could be up here right now and someone would have an issue with what he's wearing and what he's saying, just like he did thousands of years ago. People had issues with him speaking about the love of God. They take issues with anything that's good, it seems to be. And so... I want you not to put so much on emphasis on what others think and, and your decisions based on how others will respond. I want you to make your decisions based on God's word and know that God loves you just the way that you are. I know there's an old song about that too, just the way you are, but he does. But he desires for you to improve and for you to grow in your faith. I love the passage in Galatians from Galatians 1.10. We've got a slide for that. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Did you hear that? If you're always trying to be a people pleaser, you can't be a servant of Christ. We are to please Christ and we are to serve Christ before anybody, even our spouses. We are supposed to pledge our allegiance to God Almighty. And then Paul again in 1 Thessalonians Chapter 2, verse 4. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. God has entrusted you and I with the gospel, the truth of God's word, to share that gospel, to share that truth, to bring others into a relationship, into the presence of the Almighty God. It's not about us, it's not about their approval. It's about us sharing that gospel truth, bringing people into the word of God, into his presence. And that was our prayer yesterday, that people would come and enter into the presence of God and hear his truth and experience the authentic power and presence of the Holy Spirit. You know, the scripture passage that we heard just a few moments ago from Matthew 10, verses 29 through 31 it's one of the most important reminders of the love that our Heavenly Father has for His children. It tells us how far-reaching God's love is. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Okay, imagine Jesus is teaching in the temple courts and people are selling things. And yeah, they're selling sparrows either for sacrifice or maybe to eat. And so I think he's teaching this right then and there. And he says, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. He's talking about sparrows. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. That's a very moving testimony of the intimate love that God has for us. A second grader once asked his science teacher, he says, how much does the earth weigh? Well, the teacher didn't know. So she brought out her phone and she looked it up on the internet. And she said, 1,000 trillion metric tons. She answered the boy. That's what she said. And the little boy asked, he thought for a moment, and then he said, is that with or without people? <laughs> that's a child for you. You know, viewed from that perspective, it might very well seem that people don't matter very much in the grand scheme of things, but yet they do matter. People are very important to God. He decided a long time ago to want us and need us. The very God of creation has counted the very hairs of our heads. He knew how many hairs you used to have if you don't have any anymore. Okay, isn't that amazing? What a magnificent picture of the love of our Heavenly Father. But wait a minute. 
There's a troubling part to Jesus' teaching about sparrows. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Asked Jesus. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. But this text from Matthew acknowledges something. That sparrows do fall from the sky. They do. It happens all the time. Jets suck them up in their engines. Predators prey upon their young. Sudden storms and droughts can deprive these sparrows of their food. God's love does not protect those tiny sparrows from life's tragedies. Neither does it protect us. If you are a mature Christian, you realize this. But there are many teachers and even preachers today who speak of Christianity as the path to an easy life and prosperity. And so the point needs to be made. It's a troubling truth, but it's the truth. And I told you once before that the truth of God will be preached here and taught here. We don't skip around it. We don't sugarcoat it. Because it's not always easy being a Christian. Matter of fact, many times it can be the opposite of that. Sparrows, innocent sparrows, they do fall and they fail. They do. I want you to think about that for a moment. Think about the sparrows. Do you have them in your backyard? Do they fly around? We got all kinds of birds in our backyard. They're precious in God's sight. But he values you so much more. He doesn't protect them from life's problems. And he doesn't always protect you from life's problems. It's the most difficult dilemma that Christians face. Because we want to say, well, Christians don't suffer. We got it made. If you know Jesus, everything's great. It is to a certain degree. But the righteous do suffer. Stephen, are you really going to teach on that and preach on that? Because I don't know if you want to do that. God's placed that on my heart. So yes, we're going to do that. There's a common phrase, only the good die young. Who sings that? I'm glad y'all knew that. Somebody said John Cougar Mellencamp one time. I said, no, I mean, it might sound like him a little bit, but no. Thank you. Billy Joel. It's a powerful song. Only the good die young. Scoundrels, they seem to go on forever, don't they? Well, that's not always true, but sometimes it's how it seems. Why in heaven's name should that be? One answer may come from just ordinary family life. Those of you who are parents, let me ask you a question. Would you protect your child, your children from all of life's problems if you could? You'd want to, wouldn't you? Without thinking, we'd say, yes, I would want to do that. And it'd be tempting to do that. Deep in our hearts, we would like to build a protective bubble around our children. After all, when they hurt, we hurt. We're only as happy as our saddest child. When someone abuses them, it's we who are angry. We don't like it. When they are in a, a crisis, it's we who toss and turn in our beds, not being able to sleep. It doesn't matter what age you are, right? Richard and Peggy, you still toss and turn. You think about your children. You think about your grandchildren. Are they okay? Are they making the right decisions? You know? I know that now. I have two children. I have a, a, an adult daughter. Man, it's hard to say that, but I do. I don't look like the, I look young, don't I? Yes. I got a son that's getting ready to turn 17. Man, woo! Look out, world. He'll be on the road driving. You know what he'll be doing, right? Listen to the bass. Anyway, it's all about the bass. It's all about the grace. So no devil. Okay, that's the ADD side moment there. Let's get back to what God wants you to hear today. Okay, and so you'd do anything, wouldn't you? You'd do anything for your child. We like to protect our children at every cost. But what would happen if we did that? 
What if we made every decision for them, protected them from every single thing? They would never grow into responsible adults, competent, mature adults. We need to let them fail and make some mistakes. You know, we need to correct them. There are consequences for certain behavior. It's because we love them and we, we care about them. Overcoming obstacles produces character and competence. God has placed us in a world that is designed to bring out the best within us if we deal with life in an attitude of faith and love. That doesn't mean that God has forsaken us or he's forgotten us. It simply means that this world is a training school. It's designed to produce souls fit to share eternity with him. Sparrows do fall from the sky. And there's a second truth related to this. God's love does not protect us from life's problems, but neither are life's problems God's punishment for our sins. And yet that theology is out there. Listen to it again. I think we have a slide for it. God's love does not protect us from our problems, but neither are life's problems God's punishment for our sins. You know, this truth is made obvious in the book of Job. Some of you are familiar with Job. If you're not, I encourage you to go back and read Job. It's a book in the Old Testament. Job was a wealthy man living in a wonderful land. He had a, a large family. Uh, he had a lot of people in his family. They weren't all large, but he had a lot of people in his family. I heard a guy one time say, he said, we're going to minister to, uh, at a little women's prison. I said, is there a big women's prison? Anyway, that's just, anyway. And so <laughs> I just want to make sure you're awake. Some of you are out there looking at something, playing Tetris or something. Does anybody even play Tetris anymore? Probably not. It's all Fortnite now, whatever that is. Okay, and so here, here he is. He's got everything. He's got it made. He was blameless. He was upright. He was a faithful man to God. And yet God allowed Satan to torment Job and test his faith. You know how the story goes. Job's livestock, his servants, his children, his wife, all 10 of his children, they die. They die. When all this happens, he tears his clothes and he shaves his head, but he still blesses God. Then on top of this, He's afflicted with these terrible, horrible skin sores. His wife, while she's still alive, she encourages him to curse God and to give up and die. Just curse him. Curse his name. Give up. Die. But he refuses to do that. He keeps praising God and blessing God. And then three of his friends show up on the scene. A big help they are. They accuse him of deserving his wretched condition. It's something his, he's done. It's some sin that he's done. But Job knows that he's a righteous man and that he believes that his Redeemer lives. He refuses to give up. And as a result, Job's faith is finally vindicated and God blesses him more than ever before. Now, the book of Job still leaves us with lots of unanswered questions. But it's a mighty affirmation that adversity does not come as punishment from God for our sins. That's the truth, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus' disciples, they were undoubtedly familiar with the Old Testament and the, and the book of Job. Yet when they saw a blind man begging on the street, they asked Jesus, who sinned that he should have this condition? They asked that. There they go being disciples again. They just didn't comprehend. They just didn't get it. I want you to get it today. So listen, how often do people blame themselves and ultimately blame God when life deals them a difficult blow? I mean, fathers, men, we're guilty of that. We blame others for our mistakes. If we can't find something, we blame somebody in our house for, for misplacing it. Well, it used to be in this drawer. What'd you do with it? You must have hit it. Has that ever happened to any of you? Probably not. Some of you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> We're guilty of it. We trip over something in the garage and we're like, who left that there? That's going to hurt my foot. Why don't you look when you're walking? 
You have somebody left it there, but don't blame it on them. You're the one that tripped. You know, there is a story, a great story, a true story. It was a Navy SEAL commander. They were in Iraq, okay? They were dealing with Al-Qaeda. And his group, his SEALs, he commanded, he trained them. They started firing on one another. It's called blue on blue. You know what that is? It was a mistake. Luckily, only one of the SEALs got hit, got hit grazed by a bullet on the face right here. And so the commanding officer was called in. The investigative officer was called in. That whole platoon was called in. And the commander of that platoon, he asked, whose fault is this that we fired on one another and one of our men got injured? And each one of the men said, it was my fault. I didn't logistically plan things the way they should have been planned. We didn't communicate. Another one stood up and said, it's my fault. I should have made sure I knew who I was firing at. And another man stood up, and another man stood up, and another one stood up. And finally, they all were saying that it was their fault. But then that Navy SEAL commander who was in charge of that whole platoon, he said, no, it was my fault. I am your leader. I am your commander. I am your trainer. I didn't train you well enough. I didn't equip you well enough. That's why this happened, and this will not happen again. Well, he wasn't kicked out of the military. No. Matter of fact, he was promoted. He was used to train other SEALs about accepting responsibility when you've done something, when it's your fault, and being man enough to accept that. So that's a challenge I make to fathers today. Rather than always trying to please everybody, realize that you will make mistakes and be humble. And when your children and when your spouses and when your coworkers see that you're humble and you're willing to accept that responsibility and know that you're not perfect, that you're going to make some mistakes, the respect for you will go even higher than it is right now. And never, men, never blame God. A lot of times we'll blame Satan. It's okay to blame Satan. Sometimes we will. But many times, I'd say even most of the time, our screw-ups and our mistakes are because of our own wrongdoings, our own mistakes. Oh, the devil made me do it. No, you did it. You did that. You didn't seek God's advice. You didn't pray. You didn't do what he asked you to do. You made a decision from your own flesh, your own pride, and that's why this happened. Be the big man. Be like a Navy SEAL commander and leader and admit your mistakes and admit that you're wrong sometimes, maybe many times. Have a little bit more humility. You see, Jesus did that. He was humble. Some people think, see, even humility is a weakness. You think Jesus is weak? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Humility is a strength. Do you get it? And the more you come to know Christ, the more you become in relationship with him and you surrender everything to the lordship of Christ, the more humble you will become. You'll not become this person walking around, look at me. I'm a biblical scholar. Listen to my prayers. I have such zeal with my prayers. Look how many lunches that I put together for the church. <laughs> no. Nobody wants to be around that kind of person anyway. If that's you, you've got some work to do because you're wanting to please others. Look at me. No. No one wants to look at you, but they want to look at your heavenly father. And if you're Deidre on his behalf, and if he's working through you, others will see him in you and through you and hear him through you. And they'll have a much higher respect for Jesus than they will for you. Give that some thought just for a moment. Man, I got some work to do. I do too. I'm a work in progress. Every day I ask God to help me be 
the man that my wife thinks I am, the husband that she wants me to be and needs me to be, the father that my children need me and think that I am, the son that my parents think that I am and need me to be. Help me be who you created me to be, God. And I still make mistakes and still screw up. I do. That's just part of it, isn't it? But realizing it and knowing it and owning up to it, that is the bigger man. And women, that's for you too. It just happens to be Father's Day. So we got to give them their due time, okay? You got roses. Many of you did, hand-delivered. The men are just going to get some wisdom today, okay? So there you go, men. Thanks, Stephen. We do got little bottled waters out there if you want one. Not many bottles. I'm talking about bottled waters, okay? That's a, y'all didn't get that one either, okay? I'm sorry. Okay. It's, <laughs> four people did online. Like, oh, that guy's funny. Okay. So, so oftentimes when things don't go our way, we blame God. We do. God must be using my child's sickness to punish me for some sin. We hear somebody say, I've heard somebody say that before. What a petty God they must have to injure a helpless child in order to punish that child's parent. No! A thousand times no! Grief is tragic enough without, it, without adding to it the crushing burden of guilt. My goodness, think! That's not the God that you serve. Here's where our theology of the cross becomes critical. You and I live under the rule of grace. That is, we believe that something happened on the cross of Calvary that has forever changed the relationship between God and humanity. Because of what happened there, the believer in Christ has all his or her sins forgiven. A lot of churches, you hear amen after that. All of your sins, amen. He's forgiven me and he set me free and I'm a new creation in Christ. If that doesn't get your heart pumping blood, I don't know what does. Makes me want to jump over these chairs. I'm not going to do it, but it does. Then I would say, Reagan, put those chairs too close together and blame him. No, that would be my fault to do something stupid like that. Okay? A thousand times no. He's not trying to punish you because of some past sin. To be sure, we are free Moral agents. That means we have free will, free determinalism, and we're living in a, in a lawful world where there's consequences to our misdoings. If I abuse my body, sooner or later, it will catch up with me. If I cheat on my income taxes, Uncle Sam may punish me. In terms of my relationship with God, however, those sins are buried at the bottom of the deepest sea, never to surface again. They are gone forever. If you believe that Christ has atoned for your sins, you cannot believe that God is using some adverse circumstance to punish you. You're not a puppet. God's not saying, ha, ha, ha. He's not doing that. And yet we blame God and we say, he's doing this to me because of what I did and what I said. You know, I didn't pray today, so everything's going to go terrible. That's not how it works. Maybe in your mind, it does. And maybe that's okay if you feel that way. I didn't pray today, so I'm not going to have such a good day. That, that could be. But that, it's not going to be God doing that. My servant didn't pray. I'm going to forsake him and leave him today. He doesn't do that. If that's your understanding of God, you have a petty little God with a little G. The big God is a God of grace. Wow. You and I are not perfect. But God sees us that way. He sees us that way. That's what it means to live under grace. God's love does not protect us from problems. Neither are our problems God's punishment for our sins. As the Gospel of Matthew puts it, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sins reign on the righteous and unrighteous. Voila, there's a gospel truth. Matthew 5, 45. Sparrows do. They fall from the sky. 
This is not because they have been good sparrows or bad sparrows, if sparrows can be good or bad. They fall because they are part of a lawful universe in which unfortunate tragedies do occur. If you're dumb and you get out on the road and you don't look both ways when you're going across, you know, Glenwood Avenue over here, you're going to get hit. Mount Vernon, it's going to happen. If you over-medicate, over-drink, you could get in an accident and kill somebody, even kill yourself. Things like that happen. What we do to ourselves can really cause a lot of harm. I want to tell you another truth. I believe we have a slide for this too. The little sparrow never falls beyond God's watchful eye. Never. Never falls beyond God's watchful eye. The child of God who knows that he or she is under the watchful eye of the Father can by his grace bear any burden, triumph over any tragedy, get on top of any circumstance because they know they are not alone. That does not mean it's going to be easy. For those of you who have faced loss in your life, unbearable. It's tough. It's difficult. But you know that God never left you. He's still with you, and he's bringing you in to the newness of his creation every single day. Do you remember St. Paul's litany of his misfortunes? You're like, Paul, really, man? Come on. But this is what he says. Five times I have received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent the night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers. I have been in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and told and have gave... Going often without food and without sleep, I have known hunger and thirst. I have been cold and naked. Sounds like Paul's whining a good bit there, doesn't it? It does. But he's just saying. He's saying this. He heard the Lord's voice say to him, My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. For many of us, the injustice of this world that's going on right now combined with the love of the Father, is the best assurance that we have of a world beyond this one. Someday, somehow, somewhere, accounts must be settled. Things will be made right the way that God intended. If I had a dry erase board, I would write something up here for you, but I want you to remember this in your memory or you know, put it in your phone or whatever. The gospel can be divided up in four categories. This wasn't planned in the sermon. Eric doesn't have these in the notes back there. The fall... Creation, the fall, redemption, and consummation. The good news is that God is the creator and sustainer. Through the fall, man has been corrupted with sin. All of creation was marred by sin. But redemption came when Jesus came. The hope, forgiveness, acceptance, and freedom. Freedom of the Holy Spirit. A new heart, a new power, a new earth. All things new. Think about that. But right now, things aren't the way they're supposed to be. They're just not. We're in a strange interim time. Jesus will return and make all things new. Between now and then, we get a foretaste. We get a little appetizer for what's to come. Life is fleeting, but we have real hope. That's where the consummation comes in. You have a promise of a future hope for tomorrow. The kingdom has come. You've been delivered from sins. The sin, the penalty of sin. The kingdom is coming. 
and you're being delivered from sin's demanding power, there will be no evil, no suffering, no pain, no injustice, no death. Humanity will rule over God's creation with joy. And you can already taste it now, can't you? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Our hope is in him making all things new, and he will do it, but only he can do it. No politician, no great speaker or orator, no music, no substance will be able to do it. Only Jesus Christ will be able to do it, to make all things new. You know that God desires the transformation of the entire world, not just a certain people, not just a certain nation, but the entire world. He desires the transformation of all hearts, minds, spirits, and souls. And as I've said before, and we said in our prayer yesterday, our church desires to become like our community, not the other way around. This includes welcoming the stranger and the, the outcast. This does not mean compromising the gospel. I'm afraid that churches today are trying to be a fit for everybody and everything. And so they're compromising the integrity of God's word. That's very dangerous ground to tread on. That's not a God. I said it because God's convicted my heart to say that. You see, for too long, I was more concerned with the institution and pleasing man, but now I want to please God and be a part of his Holy Spirit movement that he's placed in my heart and in the lives of the people in this church and the hundreds plus thousands of other people. One week, four or five weeks ago, 10,000 people had viewed our service. Had this pandemic not happened, that wouldn't have happened. That spurred us, encouraged us to start live streaming and getting the word and the message out there. And if just one person hears this message of truth today, I believe God will transform their heart. If just one person, the African-American man that was prayed over by Barry yesterday, they were laying concrete, they were, they were pouring a concrete driveway or walkway. If that one person sensed and felt the love of God, it was worth that whole hour and a half walk as we sweated <laughs> profusely out there you see folks we do not compromise the gospel we're not to try to please everybody else we are here to please God to serve him and tell others about him and enjoy him here and now and then know that we have eternity to spend with him it means that we will be a church of multi-ethnicity and multicultures. We will be a church that professes the Trinitarian Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We believe in one faith, the Christian faith, and that is the way to eternity, to heaven. There is no other way in the Christian faith to spend eternity with Christ. So compromising the gospel, the false teachings that try to make people feel good and to please everybody, that's not what will happen here at Misty Creek Community Church. We first and foremost, we please God. We follow his commands and his decrees and his word. But I will tell you this, anybody who walks in this door on this campus will be loved with the love of God. And when we're able to, some of us are doing it now, we will embrace you with that heavenly embrace so that you know you are cared about, that you're special, that you are good enough, that you are worthy enough to receive God's grace through his people. And so let's stop 
trying to approve, get everybody else's approval. Our self-worth comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. Nobody else is going to fill that void. Only Jesus can. Now, he will use your spouse and a sister or an aunt or an uncle or, or a grandparent or a friend to do that. And when you begin to realize how he's moving through other people, then you know, my goodness, I'm always in the embrace of God. Even down at the lake with my friends. Even when I walk in the neighborhood with my neighbor. Even while I'm on the phone with my mama. That God is with me, encouraging me. I want to please him. Do you want to please him today? Do you want to serve him today? Then fully surrender him. I want to invite you to pray with me. I think we even have this prayer we'll put up for you. We'll just pray this. Do we have that? Eric, Maestro. Oh, Maestro, he's good back there. Let's pray this together. We'll, I'll try to play it, pray it slow so it's not over, overly bearing. Lord, help me not to live my life as a people pleaser. Let me have the confidence in myself and in you so I will not have to strive for the approval of others. Grant me the confidence to trust my own heart and instincts. Let my desire and goal be to live my life in such a way that honors you. I choose to conduct my life with integrity and purpose based on the principles of your word, not on the opinions of others. Help me to be open to the advice and counsel of others, but strong enough to follow my own heart and convictions. Help me not to let the criticism or insult of others offend me or hurt my feelings. Help me to be more sensitive to your guidance and direction than the voices of others. I desire your approval more than the approval of others. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We hope you were inspired by today's message. For more sermons from Misty Creek Community Church, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you like to stream your podcasts. You can also watch videos of our sermons and complete services on the Misty Creek Community Church YouTube channel. And while you're there, be sure to like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell. For more information about our church, including our mission, location, service times, and more, visit our website at mistycreekchurch.org. God bless you, and thank you for listening.